on the dot on the west coast this is strange days life coming at you at a different time than the regular seven o'clock well trying to tweak out a little bit here to see if we can get more listeners um, i know seven o'clock perhaps a little bit too early for some of the people here on the west coast and uh, i decided to kind of move the show a little bit around and uh it was sort of like that last minute uh, sort of deal so i'm sorry if you guys didn't get a prior heads up but i did put it in the in the show comments so i i thank you for um coming in a little bit later for the the regular listeners as we accommodate the sound and we get ready to launch uh again thank you guys for joining us this is our wednesday february 21st 2024th episode and uh, we'll just kind of continue on our topic of uh, different stories, different urban legends, uh, the lesser known of of the stories of the paranormal. I've quite uh, enjoyed looking into things that I haven't uh, either been explored much before or just stories about um about things that haven't been uh, exploited, if you will, you know, so that's sort of what we're doing <clears throat> with that being said uh just gonna hey rafa how are you just saying hi to everybody that's as they're coming in and getting settled for the show hope you guys enjoy this new time again uh, start uh, from today will be from 8 to 9 p.m pacific standard uh, time as opposed to f- from 7 to 7 was a little bit too early that way it gives me a little bit more time to uh, rest after work and um get my things together here so i can provide you guys with a with a good show otherwise um we can skim a little bit of the the local news today see if uh, anything unusual has popped out the world is full of unusual news but sometimes things just come a little bit more uh, than ordinary I get a lot of my news from um, from uh, X, formerly known as Twitter. So I always get sort of like the paranormal stuff. So I'm, I'm, you know, I follow a lot of accounts that deal with that. So I get a lot of weird stuff. Usually it's the same kind of vein of information, whether it be raw, you know, UFOs or paranormal. But I'm sort of scan, scanning here. Nothing really substantial. Seems to be like the same thing. Um. Have you guys watched the new Detectives, uh, the season four show? It's very, very good. If you like uh, weird and paranormal stuff, I um, I'd recommend it highly. It's a very well-made show, very creepy. It takes place in uh, Alaska, of all the shows, and it starts um, a bunch of uh, of faces you've seen in different shows before, but. Uh, but it's it's a good um, it's a very good plot that has you from the beginning very mystified as uh, you know as to what it has a who done it, and I think uh, the show in particular uh, has that ability to draw you in. Uh, it has a good cast. Jodie Foster is the main actress in episode uh, episode four, season four of uh, True Detective. And um, I just got done watching it yesterday. It's only six episodes. And uh, yeah, I, I highly encourage you to watch that show. It's very good. Yeah, there's nothing really in the news worth discussing. So I think we're just going to jump up and uh, jump into our our um, main programming, if you will. So going with the same vein, we'll talk about a little bit of the lesser known, um, the lesser known wikipedia list of urban legends if you will uh, let's see here some of them we have talked about it before and um this one's called the devil's chair i don't think we've we, we've mentioned this before so the term devil's chair 
also known as a hunted chair in folklore, is frequently attached to a class of funerary or memorial sculptures common in the United States during the 19th century and often associated with legend tripping. Legend tripping is a name bestowed by any folklorist or anthropologist on an adolescent practice in which um, an unusually pilgrimage is made to a site allegedly to be the scene of some tragic, horrific, or possibly supernatural event or haunting. So 19th century graveyards sometimes included carved chairs for the comfort of visitors. Uh, in this function, the object was known as a mourning chair, and cemeteries have since provided benches for similar purpose. Most often, movable units of the type used in parks, but also specimens in the tradition of carved out chairs. Some of these carved out chairs were probably not intended for use as anything but a monument, while the monument bench it is still commercially available. Once the original purpose of these chairs fell out of fashion, superstition developed in association with the act of sitting in them. A typical example uh, is when local young people dare one another to visit a particular site, most often after dark at midnight, and on some specified night such as probably Halloween most likely or New Year's Eve. Variously, um, the story suggests that persons brave enough to sit in the chair at such a time may be punished for impudence or rewarded for his or her courage. There's a couple of states in the United States that have uh, such chairs with this myth behind them. In Florida, the Devil's Chair is located in Casadanga, Florida, and it's actually a graveyard bench in the cemetery that borders the Casadanga and Lake Helen. According to one local legend, an unopened can of beer left on the chair will be empty by morning. In some other accounts, the can is open and in others, the beer is simply gone through the unopened top. The devil himself, himself is sometimes said to appear to anyone so bold as to sit on a chair. In the state of Illinois, the haunted chair of Greenwood Cemetery in Decatur, Illinois, has its own special uh, folklore attached to it. The state of Iowa, there's a devil chair in the Guthrie General uh, Guthrie Center, Iowa. This is a cement cast chair located in Union Cemetery, situated between the two graves of unmarked as belonging to either. Local legends claims that bad luck will follow anyone who sits in it. While the cemetery itself established a private burial ground in 1885, the legend of the chair is only documented for approximately the last 30 years. Missouri, USA, we have a devil's chair or a bear chair, as it's officially named in the Highland Park Cemetery of Kirksville, Missouri. And this was uh, first placed there by Charles Grassel and David Baird when David's wife, Anna Maria Hoy Baird, died in 1911. It has become involved in numerous legends of a type widely replicated across the U.S., especially in rural and small-town communities and beloved by young people. Some of these versions say that they uh, something dreadful will happen to the person, so bold as to be seated in the chair at midnight or uh, in a particular evening, such as Halloween. It is said that a hand will emerge from the grave and drag the impious one and down to the underworld. Other versions suggest the intrepid one will be rewarded. The chair itself was sculpted out of concrete by Charles Grassold and placed as a memorial for his wife. One year later, David Bear died and was buried beside his wife, Anna. The chair acts as a grave marker between them. In uh, Italy, actually, there's also a chair. It's uh, becoming not more, not something totally relatable to the U.S. In Torcello, there's a chair called the Throne of Attila, which was probably, in fact, a magistrate seat. Local legend claims that a girl who sits in it will be married within a year. And that is for the Devil's Chairs, uh, urban legends. There's a couple of them 
all, all scattered throughout the U.S. Now, this is a, a cool case, the next one coming up, that actually was uh, pretty popular back in the, in the 80s. You know, I used to remember reading about this from local books. But in the recent years, when it comes to the advent of um, publishing scary stories for, you know, for our kind of new media to, to consume, whether it be TikToks or YouTube videos, I haven't really seen this urban legend present itself. Uh, and this is known as the devil's footprints. This was actually a single phenomenon that occurred during February 1855 around the ex estuary in the east and south Devon, England. After a heavy snowfall, trails of hoof-like marks appeared overnight in the snow, covering a total distance of some 40 to 100 miles. The footprints were so called because some persons suggest that they were the tracks of Satan as he, as he made comparisons to a hoof. Many theories have been made to explain the incidents, and some aspects of its veracity have also been questioned. On the night of between the 8th and 9th of February 1855, and one or two later nights afterwards, uh, there was a heavy snowfall. And this is when a series of hoof-like marks appeared in the snow. These footprints, much of, most of which measured about four inches long and about three inches across, are very, very small. And they were between eight to 16 inches apart and mostly in a single file were reported for more than 30 locations across Devon. It was estimated that the total distance of the tracks amounted to be between 40 to 100 miles, as I'd mentioned earlier. The weird thing about this was that the footprints would go through houses, through rivers, through haystacks, or any other um, obstacles, and they travel in a straight line. These footprints appeared on the top of snow-covered roofs, roofs and high walls, which laid in the footprints path, as well as leading up to an existing drain pipe. Uh, small as four inches in diameter so you would have imagine waking up in the morning and seeing these little tracks all over the place and then you start following this track and they go for miles and miles and miles and they're all in a straight line and they go up the walls of a house they go through the roof of the house and they go through patios they go through walls they go through little pipes and um you would think to yourself, I mean, one, uh, who would have the time to orchestrate something like this? And two, if somebody did orchestrate or kind of fake this, where are the prints of the perpetrators, right? Because anything you do on the snow would, you know, obviously mark the footprints of the of the people trying to either hoax or trying to fool somebody else. But no, these were standalone footprints. The May issue of Bell Life in Sydney actually published uh, an extra column in its weekly dispatch magazine dated on the 18th of February, which brought this uh, story to a more broad and general uh, reading population. So um, as, of, as of right now, I mean, this happened in 1855, so there's little evidence of the phenomenon, obviously, now. Uh, the only known documents were found after the publication of a 1950 of an article in transition of the Devonshire Association asking about further information of the event. So that's almost 100 years later, people were starting to investigate this. So there were some hypotheses, obviously, that uh, had to be made available to the general public public you know in case of causing some kind of panic one of the explanations was that it could have been a balloon uh, an experimental balloon that was released by mistake from the Devonport yard, uh, dockyard and led to the mysterious tracks by trailing two shackles at the end of its mooring ropes so think of a of a weather balloon that gets loose and it leaves uh, it gets loose from an anchoring point and it's attached there by a chain and as the balloon flies away um, it drags the chain along and it creates this perfect spotless images so 
this could actually explain the shape of the prints, but uh, skeptics have questioned whether the balloon would have traveled such a random zigzag course without its trailing rope and shackles becoming caught in a tree or similar obstructions. Yeah, I tend not to buy this explanation myself. Second plausibility, uh, they attributed to a hopping mice. So including some of these uh, found on rooftops, which could have been made by hopping rodents, such as a wood mice. The print left behind after a mouse leaps resembles that of a cloven hoofed animal uh, due to the motion of the limbs when it jumps. But, um, you know, they even submitted some illustrations of these kind of tracks, but that would be uh, one far traveling mouse uh, over the night, uh, travel, you know, for a little mouse to travel over 40 to 100 miles over a night, it seems pretty in, impossible. Some people even went as far as to suggest that it could have been a, a kangaroo or a badger. There was a similar incident, um, actually, that occurred uh, 15 years earlier, and it was documented in March of 1840, and... Um, it could have led to the possibility of something unexplained already taking place in in, in in England by that time, but it's it's pretty scarce. Some people have also mentioned that it could have been an April Fool's hoax, but again, when you hoax something like this, uh, it's, it's, it's pretty hard to do because, like I said before, you, we need to trail it somehow, and then if you trailed it and create these prints, then your prints would also be sort of documented if uh, in the snow, if you will. So yeah, that's a case, the Devon Devil, um, that I used to uh, read about when I was smaller. Let's see here. Hey, Jennifer, how are you? Yeah, Jennifer asked, have you ever heard the story of the school bus on the train tracks in San Antonio? Yeah, I've actually heard of school buses. There's the San Antonio one is a well-documented case. There's also in other states, They've uh, they sort of document the story goes basically that there was a school bus of children that was uh, had some mechanical mishaps occur right at the at a railroad crossing and uh, there was an unfortunate accident with claim you know the lives of the occupants of the bus and thereafter people that have experienced if if car trouble in the same road or doing the same um, railroad tracks if, if you uh, put some sort of uh, powder in the back whether it be like uh, flour or anything in the back of your car that mysteriously your car would be pushed over the um, the hazard and then on the other side of the road once you get to safety you'll be able to make out handprints in the back of your car hence that's why you would need like to put flour you would see little handprints that pushed you. Yeah, that's a that's a pretty uh, cool urban legend. I've, I've heard about it before in, in different cities, but I think the one in San Antonio, as you mentioned, has, has been the most um, the most uh, engaging one, if you will. Weird thing about Sa uh, San Antonio, myself, to talk about you know um, Mandela effects and, and all these things. Personally, I um, when I recently looked at a map of Texas, um, to my surprise, San Antonio, it's in a place that I thought, um, basically it's in a place in, in Texas that I, I thought San Antonio was not in before. No, I'm not a, you know, <clears throat> a, ge a geography major or anything like that, but I, I could have sworn that San Antonio um, used to be a little bit more in the, the western part of of uh, of Texas, like if you would have told me to draw Texas and place San Antonio on a map, I would uh, actually put it maybe next to like close to Odessa, Odessa, Texas, or Pecos, Texas. That's where I would imagine San Antonio being, and uh, I would imagine Houston being where San Antonio is. Like if you were to tell me to draw a map, I would have drawn Dallas where it is, Austin where it is, Houston where San Antonio is now. In San Antonio, for some reason, I always had it as being a city located a little bit more eastward. But um, 
it could have just been that I wasn't paying attention, but I don't know if you guys, anybody else experienced locations of cities in a different place that you always thought they were located at. And this is kind of to go in the same vein of um, your Mandela effects, if you will. <clears throat> Other than that, um, yeah, getting back to our, our list of less common urban legends, let's see. There is, this is pretty recent. This is, uh, it's called the Dover Demon. And this is actually uh, a creature reportedly sighted on April 21st and 22nd of 1977 in Dover, Massachusetts, which is a town about roughly 15 miles southwest of downtown Boston. So 17-year-old William Bill Barlett claims that uh, while driving on April 21st of 77, he saw an alien-like creature with tendril-like fingers, glowing eyes on top of a broken wall on uh, Farm Street in the city of Dover, Massachusetts. 15-year-old <clears throat> John Baxter also reported seeing a similar creature on Miller Hill Road the same evening, and another 15-year-old Abby Branham claimed to have seen the creature the following night on a Springdale Avenue. <clears throat> what strikes me just from reading the beginning of this uh, story here is that all of the drivers were pretty young, two 15-year-olds and a 17-year-old. Um, I wonder what the, the age of driving must have been back then, because I, when I was a kid in the 80s, it was when you were 16, you were able to pretty much drive the car anywhere. But in the 70s, maybe you... 15-year-old will qualify you as being a, a driver in the state of Massachusetts. But yeah, that kind of struck me. Uh, the teenagers all drew sketches of the alleged creature. Uh, Mr. Barlett wrote on a sketch, I, Bill Barlett, swear on a stack of Bibles that I saw this creature. And there's actually a picture online if you want to look at the Dover demon. It looks sort of like, uh, like a big-headed, um, four-legged animal without any kind of hair in it. Uh, yeah, it's kind of a, you know, like your atypical, like your typical alien entity. So, according to a local news report, the, the location of the sightings plotted on a map laid in a straight line over two miles, and the sightings were not made public until the first half of May. At that time, a local investigator of unexplained phenomena noted similarities to creatures in the Kelly Hopkins encounter of 55. While no witness reports seeing a UFO in that area, uh, the sightings were also investigated by the MUFON network and associated groups, given the description of a creature. So <clears throat> there's always possible explanations of what things are. Some people suggested that it may have been a, a moose calf, and other people suggested it could have been a snowy owl based on the size. <clears throat> Excuse me. Uh, police told the Associated Press that creature reported by the teenagers were probably nothing more than a school vacation hoax. Skeptic Ben Radford has suggested the sighting may have been influenced by the pop culture of the time, as 1977 was a year for big-headed client-type creatures. In 2009, the Dover Demon was featured in an episode of the American horror television series The Lost Tapes. <coughs> Excuse me. Have you guys seen that series? I haven't. Which aired on Animal Planet. Yeah, very interesting. I never heard of the Dober Demons. Let's see. looking for other things that I have not heard of so I can relate it to you guys. Wood monster. Let's see this one. The Fresno, that's a pretty much, that's a new, it's a Fresno nightcrawler. I don't know if you guys are familiar with that story, but there's a lot of videos out there about a, a security camera catching these weird creatures that were sort of walking around in a front yard in Fresno, California. Um, the 
the ghost boy of Clinton Road. Let's see this one. Okay, so Clinton Road is actually located in New Jersey, and there's a lot of folklore associated where there's uh, the ghost boy, there's also the Druid Temple, there's also a ghost truck and a strange creature that sort of uh, haunt that particular road. In regards to the Ghost Boy Bridge, um, according to New Jersey website called Weird New Jersey, there's a legend that if someone puts a quarter in the middle of a road, at one of the bridges over Clinton Brook, also known as Dead Man's Curve, near the reservoir at midnight, it will supposedly be returned by a ghost of a boy who drowned while swimming or had fallen in while sitting at the edge of the bridge. In some tellings, an apparition is seen. In others, the ghost pushes the teller into the water if they took it over the side of the bridge. Besides the ghost boy, there have been other ghosts described by this site. One claims to have seen a ghost, Camaro, driven by a girl who supposedly died when she crashed her car in 1988. Another claimed to have encountered two park rangers one night while camping uh, with friends near the terrace pond on that particular, uh, near that road that would, um, it's close to uh, hiking trails. Or actually, that site is accessible by hiking trails. Uh, they turn out to have been the ghosts of two rangers who died while doing their work in 1939. Other creatures or ghosts claimed by this uh, website, uh, seeing people dressed in weirdly at odd hours who simply stare at those who see them and do not speak, who either disappear and are not seen when the others are present. So there's a lot of ghostly apparitions in that particular road. And um, it's it's a, it's a piece of road, uh, it's 9.3 miles. It's located in West Melford, New Jersey. And um, it's an old road, it was completed in the 1700s. So it's been traveled by a lot, a lot of people in, in that time. There's a, a Druid, druidic temple a, con a conical structure just east of the road south of the reservoir um, to be the site where local druids practiced uh, practice their their rituals and horrible things may come to pass for any intruder who looked too closely or came at the wrong time the building is actually an iron smelter built in 1826 and it was listed or it is listed in the National Register of Historic Places as Clinton Furnace in 76. It is currently fenced off by the Newark Water Department to prevent any entrance and the liability of injury which may result. There's also been reports of ghost trucks, according to Travel Channel, show most terrifying places in America part 2. There's uh, a phantom vehicle, such as pickup trucks or even uh, floating headlights not attached to any vehicle that appear out of nowhere in the middle of the night and chase drivers to the end of the road and then disappear. Other strange creatures, also known as hellhounds, also known as Wolfie the hellhound, an experimental albino wolf dog, also, also made its appearance in that stretch of stretch of roads to also monkeys or unidentifiable unidentifiable hybrids are also alleged to be seen in that road. Uh, if not supernatural in origin, they have said to be survivors of jungle habitats. Uh, jungle habitat, sorry, a nearby attraction that has been closed in '76, which have actually managed to survive and crossbreed. In 1905, a man named Richard Cross built a castle on Highland near the reservoir for his wife and three kids. Later in the 20th century, it fell into ruin after a fire had destroyed part of it and thus became a popular destination for hikers and local teenagers looking for a secluded location to either party or camp out. Visitors have written telling or strange occurrences in or near the castle site, such as people going into seizures and having bruises appearing on their bodies after venturing there, or having strange disturbing visions. Writings that suggest satanic symbols have been reported as appearing on the castle's interior walls, particularly in areas that were supposedly inaccessible.
New York's water department raised the castle as an attractive nuisance in 1988, but the foundations remain and several hiking trails are still leading to this particular site. <coughs> Excuse me. Just going to man here the our comment section. Jennifer says, I know that you are a fan of Art Bell. I am, very much so. Remember the alien in the freezer story? That was a creature description that was unusual. Yeah. There's always weird stories. The alien in the freezer. There's so many, uh, it's funny, um, there's so many stories with Art Bell that uh, have become part of our paranormal lingo, if you will, from, uh, you know, John Titer who was actually a time travel that made appearances before that in, in, in chat in chat groups. But then you have, you know, Mel's Hole. You have uh, Matt Men Markham uh, and all these people that have kind of come out of the school of Art Bell. Let's see here if I can find something. So the alien in the freezer is a broadcast uh, that occurred on uh, March 16th, 2001 by Dr. Jonathan Reed. If you want to go in and see if you can fish out that particular episode, it would be, um, it would be a fun listen for you guys. Let's see what else we can find today. This is kind of new. Uh, this is the, the the ghost of Kiev, and if you guys don't know, Kiev is the it's one of the cities in Ukraine. Basically, the ghost of Kiev is a nickname given to a mythical MiG-29 flying ace credited with shooting down six Russian planes over Kiev during the Kiev Offensive on the 24th of February, 2022. Omega is a, a typical Russian airplane. When you watch Top Gun, you had the, the um, F, uh, the, you know, you had the, um, the Tomcats, the airplane that Tom Cruise would have been flying. And that's like the stereotypical plane. And then you have the MiGs, which were the planes that they encounter in the movie as being the enemy planes. So pretty similar, the double-tailed, very stylistic so according to this particular urban legend there's um an airplane a ghost airplane if you will that was fighting on behalf of ukraine and um various reports including uh the security service of ukraine has made several claims so pretty legitimate sources the ghost of kiev has been credited as a morale booster for ukrainians during the russia ukrainian war Two months after the story spread, the Ukrainian Air Force acknowledged that the fighter was a myth, unfortunately, and warned people not to neglect the basic rules of information hygiene and to check the source of information before spreading it. Experts have stated that stories such as the ghosts of Kiev are part of Ukrainian propaganda and again as most moral uh, morale boosting campaigns or both. So... I think it would have been wise to dismiss it as false after the war to kind of keep people motivated as opposed to dismiss it while the war's going on. But then again, you know, responsible thing to do is to report things that are not true while things are kind of fresh in people's mind. Let's see. This is called the Goat Man. This looks sort of like uh, that. Um, one second here. I want to know the name of the, the... You guys remember watching Lord of the Rings? There's a little fawn creature. Mr. What was it called? Tumnus? I think it was Tumnus. That's what this guy looks like. Yeah, Tumnus. Mr. Tumnus, a fawn. This is what the, the next creature of our urban legends the goat man looks exactly like mr tumnus from the lord of the rings exactly like it same half you know half of his body is that of a goat top body is that of a human with pointy ears and with ram's horns according to urban legend the goat man 
is a creature resembling a goat-human hybrid often credited with canine death and purported, uh, purported to take refuge in the woods of Prince George County in Maryland, the U.S. In May of 71, University of Maryland student George Lazama completed an underground folklore project on the Goatman that was later added to the Maryland Folklorist Archives. In Lazar's paper, the Goatman has uh, said to be located in Tucker Road in Clinton, Maryland. Later that same year, reported Karen Hosler discovered Lazama's project in the archives and reported it on the Prince George's County News in October of 1971, this time placing the Goatman near the Fletcherton Road in Bowie, Maryland. Additionally, this report covered the theory that the Goatman's origins can be traced to the Beltsville Agricultural Research Center. While Goatman's stories originally uh, have originated in the early 70s, some of those legends are set in the late 30s within Prince George County following the disappearance and or death of multiple canines in the area which were later attributed to this particular creature. However, given the conditions of their remains, the passing was more likely to have been the result of passing trains, unfortunately. Despite evidence to the contrary, stories of Goatman's existence continue to circulate, especially among local students. <clears throat> there was a lot of graffiti, actually, that was spread in this town uh, by uh, students, which said Goatman was here. Uh, and law enforcement would eventually receive calls of reported sightings, uh, albeit, albeit most of them were pranks, obviously. The creature was commonly claimed to have had a human face with a body covered in hair, but the description of the goat men have, um, have uh, changed throughout different reports. So, yeah, there's always variations along with the stories as well. But that's pretty interesting from one man's um, school project generate a local legend. I wonder how hard it is for me to create some kind of urban legend, you know? Especially now with social media and everything, you can um, you can probably fabricate something with if you get together with, with a couple of people and uh, you guys can create something very cool. That'd be sort of like a good idea if your local town lacks any sort of distinction or... Um, you know, traffic from people that are interested in the paranormal. Go ahead and create yourself an urban legend. I'm sure that visitors will flock to your neck of the woods, if you will. Hi, Michaela. Good to have you on the show. Let's see here what else we have in store for you guys. The, the Japanese culture has a lot of scary, uh, a lot of scary urban legends and ghosts. They they really, if you ever, if you guys watch like Japanese scary movies, they have they have a pretty down pat when it comes to to the genre of like uh, jump scare or things that are pretty pretty weird. For example, uh, remember the movie The Ring? That was pretty pretty scary when I first saw it. Even though it's a movie, you still did not want to stare at the TV for fear that it will be something true. And the reason I bring out that movie is that I think it's originally based on a Japanese movie that had come out uh, the years prior. So yeah, it's pretty. It's a pretty freaky movie. So this one is called the uh, Hanako-san, or the Twire no Hanako-san, meaning Hanako of the toilet in Japanese. Um, this is a Japanese herbal legend. You know what? We're going to look at more Japanese urban urban legends too because they're pretty cool. This is about the spirit of a young girl named Hanako who haunts the school toilets or the haunts the school toilets. Like many urban legends, the details of the origins of the legend vary depending on the account. Different versions of the story include that Hanako-san is the ghost of a World War II-era girl who was killed while playing hide-and-seek during an air raid, that she was uh, deleted by a parent or a stranger, or that she committed uh, self-deletion in a school toilet due to bullying. So there's different versions of how uh, Hanako came out to be. 
Legend about Hanako-san have achieved some popularity in Japanese school where children may challenge classmates to try to summon Hanako-san. The character has been depicted in various uh, forms of media, including film, manga, anime, and video games. And not just uh, as the notorious Hanako-san, but in some as Hanako-kun, which would be the, the male version of the story. According to the legend, Hanako-san is the spirit of a young girl who haunts school toilets and can be described as a yokai or a yurei. Yokai are a class of supernatural entities and spirits in Japanese folklore. The details of her physical appearance vary across different sources, but she is commonly described as having an above haircut and as wearing a red skirt or a dress. The details of Hanako-san's origins also vary depending on the account. In some versions, as we spoke earlier, she was a child who was deleted by a stranger or abusive parent in a school toilet. Uh, and the other versions that I spoke to as before, to in order for you to um, summon Hanako-san, you have to enter uh, a girl's toilet, knock three times on the third stall, and ask if Hanako-san is present. If she is there, she will reply with some variation of yes. Depending on the story, the individual may then witness the appearance of a bloody or ghostly hand. The hand or Hanako herself may pull the individual into the toilet, which may lead them to hell. Or the individual may be eaten by a three-headed lizard who claims that the individual was invading Hanako's privacy. Very cool. It's a cool story. Let's see here. So given... Uh, oh, let's see some more. Let's, let's explore some more Japanese urban legends. The Sony Timer. It was rumored that the Sony Corporation installed a device in all its electronic products that caused them to fail soon after the warranties expire, an illegal form of planned obsolescence. This has never been substantiated, and while it is likely, or excuse me, unlikely that Sony would explicitly add expiration devices to the hardware, the Sony Timer has also been taken to mean that Sony manufactures devices to withstand just enough to necessitate a new line. At the annual shareholders meeting in 2007, the president of Sony said that he was aware of the term Sony timer. You know, that's a, that's a very cool uh, term because I, I kind of adhere to that, the planned obsolescence, meaning that you buy something and in a few years things tend to break, break so you get a new one. Case in point, I believe the iPhone, <laughs> sort of with all these updates and uh, software updates that uh, I think there was some truth to that, that you would have an older device and they would download all these updates, pretty much rendering the phone unusable, you know, and um, I like old vehicles myself. I always like older cars and older cars, obviously you can still see them running. Uh, case in point would be Cuba, where you have cars from the 40s and 50s that are still doing their job. But if you buy a new vehicle, it seems like after like four to five years, these cars just basically they uh, auto delete. You know, they're, obs they're they're obsolete basically. That's why a lot of time people you wonder why if you buy a BMW, for example, a brand new BMW can run you in the fifty, sixty thousand dollars. But if you buy a used BMW, they usually like one third of the price. They really don't hold their value. And it seems like when they, you know, either they they reach a certain amount of miles or something happens and the cars go from luxury to trash. So planned obsolescence is a very cool topic might do some stuff in the future in regards to that but yeah that was uh born out of uh the sony timer ideal let's see there's uh let me mand okay so we're still good here on the live the live feeds perfect Japanese supernatural legend. So there's the red cloak or Aka Manto. That's funny. So Aka means red in Japanese and Manto means cloak. In Spanish, Manto or Manta means cloak too. 
Yeah, that's kind of, uh, if you have una manta, you know, means a, a cloak. So this is called the Akamanto, the red cloak, is described as a male spirit who wears a red cloak and a mask which hides his face and is said to haunt public or school bathrooms. So bathrooms, there's a thing between Japanese people and bathrooms. And often specifically the last stall of female bathrooms. So then you have the third and last stalls as being potentially haunted uh, things in Japan. According to legend, individuals using a toilet in such bathrooms may be asked by Akamanto to choose between a red paper or a blue paper. So it sounds a little bit like the Matrix movie. In some versions, the option will be a red or blue cloak rather than paper. Choosing the red options, uh, the red option often, uh, well, choosing the red option results in a fatal laceration or a flaying while choosing the blue option results in strangulation and all of the individual's blood being drained from the body. So I can see the red as, you know, meaning something bloody and blue meaning something devoid of life. So picking a color which has not been offered leads to the individual being dragged to an underworld or hell. And in some accounts, choosing yellow results in a person's head being pushed into the toilet. I guess yellow signifies pee. Ignoring the spirit, rejecting both options offered by the spirit, escaping the bathroom or a combination of the aforementioned men's methods are said to result in the individual survival. So take that into account for you guys visiting um, Japan if you get offered any of that. So either ignore it, reject it, or escape. Akamanto. Uh, another supernatural uh, legend from Japan is called it's called it's called the cursed Kleenex commercial. In the 1980s, uh, 80s, Kleenex released three Japanese commercials for their tissue, featuring a woman played by actress Kiko Matsusaka dressed in a white dress and a child dressed as a Japanese ogre sitting on straw. Each advertisement had the song It's a Fine Day by Edward Barton and Jane playing in the background. Allegedly, viewers began to file complaints with television station and with the Kleenex Corporation headquarters because they found the commercial very unnerving, unnerving and some supposedly claimed that the song sounded like a German curse despite the lyrics being in English. False rumors about the cast and crew were reported to be circulating in the time in, in that particular time, including that all those involved in filmings with the commercial met untimely deaths and accidents. That Matsusaka was institutionalized after a mental breakdown, or that Matsusaka became pregnant with a demon child. The demon child is uh, actually a depiction of the character character Ten from the anime Yurisei Yatsura. I don't know what that, I never did. Yeah, but supposedly a character from that. The curse of the colonel um, is supposedly suffered by the Hashin Tiger baseball team and suffered, uh, excuse me, incited as the cause for their poor performance in Japanese championship series. In 85, fans of the Hashin Tiger celebrated their team's first and only victory of the series and their excitement they threw a statue of colonel sanders the fander mascot of kfc into a river for several years after the incident this the, the team failed to win the championship again and some fans believe the team would never do so again until the statue was recovered legend similar to that in nature of the curse of the bambino which is as you know when the red sox sold babe ruth to the yanks so yeah, I've actually it's funny. I, I remember the story of the curse of the colonel, and I think they dug him out of the river. Uh, the actual statue they actually brought it back from the river. But I don't know if the Hunshin Tigers have won after sort of trying to amend for their sin. These are really cool. I should probably go through countries and uh, have like a series where I do urban legends from all kinds of different countries. So far, we can account the episodes that I've done in the past to be uh, mostly are either England or or the U.S. or like the English-speaking countries. Let me see here. Just manned. Let me man the our comment section. Hey, Brad Pipple, good to have you here, buddy. 
yeah, Michaela, in regards to two things, uh, what we spoke about earlier about things not being as lasting as prior says that things aren't built the way they used to be. You're absolutely right. They're very uh, poorly built. Sort of just enough to get you until you want to spend money on another vehicle when it comes to cars. Ghost taxi passengers. Let's see. A Jap- yesterday, we if you listened to the show yesterday, we, we talked about a, an urban legend uh, in regards to a black type of vehicle that was supposedly ominous if you um, were to enter the such vehicle. The, remember the story that somebody would drive by and ask you for the time, and if you gave the driver of the black car the time, they will tell you that in, in one day at that particular, in one day from the time that you gave them the time, it would be the your death so if somebody told you three o'clock and next day at three you should be dead and the only way to get out of that curse was to say it's god's time so now we have a ghost taxi passenger here a japanese urban legend dating back to the teosho period what is the teosho period uh was a period in history of japan dating from the 30th of july uh, 1912 to the 25th of december of 1926 so roughly 12 years uh, or so it was a significant um, that saw during this period the saw a significant resurgence in, in um, Japan after the 2011 one second here this wasn't written perfectly. okay so basically this urban legend uh, gained a resurgence after the 2011 earthquake and tsunami in Japan It is a trend of taxi drivers who say that they picked up a passenger, often drenched or cold, who then disappears before reaching their destination, often leaving behind evidence of their presence, such as either a puddle of water, a glove, or occasionally pay for a fare. Because the passengers typically disappear before reaching the destination, the driver of the taxi is left to pay the fare unless the ghost decides to pay for it. However, those with a strong respect for the dead do not mind paying for the fare. Ghost passengers are said to often visit homes of loved ones, and many are young people who felt that they were deleted too young. Sometimes the passengers uh, seem, un- seem unaware that they are deceased. Yuka Kuro at Tokyo Ganguke University interviewed over 100 taxi drivers in an effort to actually study this phenomenon, but many refused to answer. Ishiomaki psychiatrist Kaizo Hara and others have suggested that the ghost passengers are perhaps grief hallucinations or a sign of collective post-traumatic stress disorder. Parallels have been drawn between Japanese ghost passenger and Westerners vanishing hitchhikers the next story here is called the gozu or the cow's head also known as an ox head it is a japanese urban legend about a fictional story called cowhead supposedly the cowhead study uh, story is so horrifying that people who read or hear it are overcome with fear so great that they tremble violently for days on end until they eventually pass the full story was broken up into fragments that when read individually are not lethal but still terrifying and bring great pain and suffering upon those who read or listen to the whole words. <clears throat> Let's see. Aino Kashira Park Curse. In Aino Kashira Park in Tokyo, there is a shrine to the goddess Bensasaiden as well as Inosokara Pond, a lake where visitors can rent rowing boats. There is an urban legend which states that if a couple ride a boat together, their relationship will end prematurely. So not a good place to take a first date. In some versions of the legend, happy couples who visit the park will be cursed by the jealous Bensai Ten, which will cause them to break up. Wow. So let's see, we have there's a lot more. Maybe we can save some for tomorrow as we're getting close to the end here. One second. Let's see if I can close up 
Okay, so this one I'm actually gonna trying to see if this is um no this is pretty much it. Um, I'm kind of skimming through a story about a cursed painting, but <clears throat> nothing much to not much information on it. And we kind of talked about the painting yesterday about the crying boy. It was a painting that was pretty famous a few years back. A lot of people, it was created at, you know, a lot of people bought the painting. It was a painting of a crying boy. This is a, a different story. I'm kind of regressing, but this is a story about the, we talked about, I believe, yesterday, the day before, about a crying boy. It was a pretty popular painting. People bought it, and then they started reporting in England that a lot of houses that actually burned to the ground uh, had the painting unscathed, and they were blaming the fires on the paintings. But then, lo and behold, they did an analysis and they found out that the the painting uh, had a, a fire retard, retardant uh, coating on it. And the string that would tie the painting to the wall would often, and if there was some kind of fire, it was really cheaply made, so it, it would break faster. And then the paint would fall down and land with the face down. And so that's why a lot of these paintings were surviving fires and the people were attributing um, the painting as being culpable when in essence you know fires are quite common and the painting survived because of what they sh what they what they favored as a, to use as a sealant if you will all right ladies and gentlemen i think that will bring a close to our channel for today um i kind of like our new timeline from eight to nine i think more people are probably able to attend i think seven was way too early um, and it gives me a little bit more time to relax as well. So I think for right now, we're going to stick with the eight o'clock timing, eight to nine, one hour of um, all things paranormal, excuse me. So thank you for joining me. Um, oh, let me go here. There's a lot of people. Let's see. Brad Pitbull says a song by James Lopez, A La Rilla de la Carretera. It's a Spanish dealing with a hitchhiker on the road of a woman in white. Yeah, there's always these things, these themes that sort of float around and they cross over to different um, countries and different ethnicities. But uh, I haven't heard that song, Alaria La Carretera. That must be an interesting, I might, might take a listen. Again, thank you guys for always being faithful listeners and for sticking to the show. We have an interview actually scheduled for Monday. Uh, with the gentleman that uh, it's called, uh, they sell, um, it's a shop, it's a paranormal uh, shop, if you will. And they have paranormal adventures. Um, they do a lot of things in the paranormal. I'll be able to speak with the owner of that particular. So that's coming on Monday. I'm still reaching out for other people to come in and join as an interviewer as we keep on pursuing our live call Um goal if you will to become a sort of like a live call sustain channel otherwise uh, thank you for you guys you know like the videos uh, subscribe to our podcast and like i said before we have a lot of podcasts and there's about 50 applications out there with us in it as a podcast and the only difference is that we are under strange days paranormal so basically the name of the channel is called strange days and live means that I'm live, meaning it's a live show. And so Strange Days Paranormal will be our our way to find us when it comes to podcasts. Okay. So thank you guys again for joining us. Um, recommend us to your friends. And uh, yeah, just come, keep coming in, keep listening. And um, hope you guys have a tomorrow's thursday already awesome hope you guys have a, a good th uh, thursday tomorrow be safe stay safe god bless you and thank you once again for joining us here at strange days see you mañana take care